Welcome back to the glue guys. This is my care. Say hello, Brian. Hello. Check us out on Twitter at BK glues, iTunes, five stars. We want them. We need them. We have to have them. Brian, the nets are they are. <laughs> they're, doing they're, they're doing something for sure. Uh, um, yes. My secret was I've just been, I, I don't watch the games live. I just see the box score <laughs> and then I flagellate myself. <laughs> um, but I have been going back and watching them on League Pass. It's actually, that's the way to do it, to be honest with you. You're, you're so disconnected emotionally that way, um, knowing what you know about the fourth quarter collapses that are forthcoming. Uh, it takes the edge off, is my experience. <laughs> it's, uh, it is probably the way that should be recommended for the rest of the Nets fans to go, because it is getting into a dark place on Nets Twitter uh, with what the Nets have been doing, it is now eight straight losses, Brian, I think is the number. We're getting the kind of tweets that have, like, every Nets beat writer added. And, like, every <laughs> – they're like, why aren't you guys talking about it? Like, talk about the, you know, the big picture stuff, guys. Like, the, Rod the Illuminati guys is are still on the tweets bit. even though he's in Charlotte now covering the Hornets. It's like, the fake news media is not going to report on what's going on with the Nets. <laughs> busted. Busted losers. <laughs> um, Man, it's been rough because, like – so this is a new experience, I think, and we've talked about it it's a lot. It's been talked about in the media. Hang on. But, but before we jump into this, can yeah. I say one thing? Please. I, I want to thank you. If you're listening to this podcast right now, you are <laughs> you are doing, you know, you're, you're with us. This is how it is. Every year, December rolls around, and, like, those are our people. Those are those are the boys that we ride and die with every year. Year in year out, the same. I wish we squad. could do something for you. I wish there was a way to uplift. I wish there was a charity of which we could start. To I mean, I just I just want to say like a big. I just want to hug you guys. A big thank you. Um, <laughs> should we do? We should. You know, how people do like meetups at bars. Should we just do a meetup group hug? Where we Somebody, I, I felt bad. I went back place? in my. I went back in the uh, emails and totally forgot to respond to this dude who was like. Hey, we like organized this thing at the bar. This at this bar, you guys should totally come. Um, I mean, we couldn't make it anyways, but I forgot to respond to that dude. So I'll send you an email. Sorry, bro. And like, yeah, we probably should do that eventually. But the thing is, we're gonna be way less interesting in person. That's <laughs> that's that's the big secret about us. Um, yeah. So this are we interesting on this podcast? Brian? I was gonna say, <laughs> I was like, consider how uninteresting we are already, <laughs> and then and then multiply that. I think by... uh, Luis Torres, or, uh, he was saying that w- his wife hates us, which is a nice thing to know. But I appreciate that. Um, yeah, Robbie, your boy Robbie Rose, he's got some art assistants that hate our guts too. You know, those are the guys that are sticking it out. They're putting on. The glue guys in the heart of December on an eight-game losing streak. <laughs> I hate us all too, of which man. are fourth-quarter collapses. It's I hate great. us too it's because good. last week our like sort of the focus of our pod was that we defended Kenny Atkinson and like okay, <laughs> so I'm not. That feels like a year ago. Yeah, I know, right? And I'm not like I'm not pro fire Kenny Camp because one doesn't really accomplish anything at the moment. There are good things about Kenny Atkinson. And I'll kind of get to those things later with my big bombshell. I'm going to drop it within the middle oh, of this pod. <laughs> wow. But 
so th- this new experience that I was talking about with this team was was one was the expectations and two was that they are losing games not because they're getting out talented, which has been the sort of line that they don't have talent, which they don't. It's because they are blowing up and they're sh- breaking out into tears at the end of games and throwing the ball away, making bad decisions on defense, making bad switches on defense. On offense, they have these horrible possessions. I mean, let's not even talk about the the out-of-bounds plays, which are all disgusting and horrible. It actually used to be something that I thought that Kenny was pretty good at. The Nets used to be able to come out of a timeout with an out-of-bounds play, and they would pretty assuredly get a bucket. And I I know we discussed about that. Now they're doing this awful sort of uh, foul line screening action where there's four screens to hopefully loosen one man, and the one man is never loosened, which ends up getting Jared Dudley the ball in a key moment of the game. Oh, God, Brian. Brian. Um, Can I – let me just like – Everyone, right. we, you know what we need to do? Right. We need to get a drop for conspiracy theories. We need to get our tinfoil hat drop. <laughs> we <laughs> and, do need that. Uh, so my my good friend, Sean Goodfriend, Hello. a good friend of the show, um, wrote in to us. Uh, he's actually had two solid emails that we're going to broach. So he's been providing a lot of a lot of content. Um, Let's broach but, it, But uh, your boy, Sean Goodfriend, writes in, can we start counting these tanking wins? If you're not familiar, a uh, tanking win is when a team which is destined for the lottery has a double-digit lead or a lead within the last two to four minutes and then loses with spe- spectacular fashion in order to secure their pick, giving the fans a glimpse of what the team will be like in two to three years. So, like, okay, so, you know, outside of the conspiracy theory of, like, the purposeful tanking stuff, there's a silver lining in here for the first time that's very real, which is like, honestly, best case scenario is kind of happening. We're having these hard fought losses that look really good until they don't. And they're just adding ping pong balls, bro. I mean, like, you know, yeah. it hurts. It sucks so bad. It sucks horribly right now. But like, it's sort of the best possible situation. But I know they, everyone's they hating feel them. hard fought, though. What they feel like is a team sort of... Uh, self-immolating themselves you know what does that mean that once when you let yourself on fire is that immolation yeah Yeah, Uh, you got it but yeah so they this isn't like the the scrappy team that is down by eight that comes back and almost gets the comeback no it's the opposite it's the team that is up by eight up by 12 that then within the final four minutes just decides we're not going to score, we're going to give up turnovers, we're going to make one dumb foul, we're going to make one dumb defensive decision, and we're going to lose the game because of it. You know, each of these losses are all a little bit different, but they're all the same issue. It's, um, one, they don't have the steadying force. Like, so, I don't know where I'm at with D'Angelo Russell still. Um, you and I are both very pro-D'Angelo, right? Like, we're we're pro-D'Angelo, but... He isn't the steadying force at the end of the game that you would hope he would be. He is doing well with Levert out. He is playing well, so I don't want to lose that fact. But at the end of games, he isn't this um, all-consuming, steady-hand point guard who, all right, guys, you guys are all kind of shaky a little bit around me. Let me take the ball at the end of the game and do what I got to do. I'm going to get you two, I'm going to get you three, whatever it's going to be, but I'm not going to give you a turnover. He actually has given over a turnover when Carousel was on the floor against the Pelicans, all that stuff. It's just, this; these aren't the fun, scrappy losses 
that you want for a lottery team. These are the horrible, gut-wrenching losses that you get with a team that has some aspirations of competing for an eighth seed. And you know what the funny thing is? They're only four, I think it's now four games out. They're only four games out of the eighth seed at the moment, but it feels like they're 20 games out. It feels like they're closer to being the Suns than they are closer to being the Hornets, which is the eighth seed. <laughs> you know what's the difference between me and you, Mike? The difference is you're drinking a Miller Lite, and it's bringing you down into this. <laughs> you're like, you, you, you're, you're dressed, you're, you're slovenly, you're feeling depressed, and I'm, oh, I'm yeah, drinking my, my, my vodka pineapple juice. I'm feeling bubbly, and I'm looking at NBADraft.net, <laughs> thinking about 2019. I'm like, yo, what's up, Ball Ball? Like, let's, let's ride, you know? It's too early, man. It's too is early. Is Ball Ball a Thon Maker meme, or is he real? That's He's my real. He is legit real. This draft, okay. it's, it's we do this every year. It is there's always someone who's like this draft's not as good as the last one, and then college basketball begins, and you're like, oh, this draft is legit. Like people were saying at the end of the past draft, it was like, but the next draft isn't that good comparatively to whatever draft we just had. Um, but with like Aiton and Doncic and all those guys, I don't know, man. I I've watched Duke. Duke, all three dudes are you know as promising or if not more promising than Bagley was um Bol Bol is seven foot two and shoots threes and is athletic but also isn't like just a stick like his dad was like he is he is you know pretty hefty hefty enough um there's a there's the guy from Gonzaga that we talked about before very interesting prospect as well a lot of guys um, out there I got I got closer to the correct pronunciation on this it's Rui Rui love it Ryu you went full I went for Street Fighter. Uh, Dragon Ball Z. And, yeah. uh, oh, oh, Street Fighter. Just yeah. call him Ken. Just call him Ken from here on. Um, <laughs> R- I also was looking at R.J. Barrett, and this is always my like death sentence for any any oh, no. uh, any comparison. You got Michael Red. That's trouble, bro. That's, Dude, Michael that's Red trouble. was a guy. He was good. He was he's a meme, but like you don't want that. It's like your number two pick. You know, Michael <laughs> Red's dope because he was whatever like you know the millionth pick. And but can we be honest? Isn't that kind of like that would be the Nets' number two pick? Which is just like. A solid twenty point a game scorer who can shoot, but is never elite. Never elite in any way. He's just Joe Johnson two point He's Michael Red two point That's kind of a Nets guy, unfortunately. But hey, Brian, we can't talk about the. We can't do this to ourselves. We can't. I can't. I'm trying to steer you away from the the cliff you're driving this show over. This like what I'm about to say. Just punching the, yourself in the nuts for the forty bomb. minutes. Like I can't. I can't do it. I know, man. My whole point about this is that. So, like, the one big headline I kind of want to be taken away from what the Nets are doing is that, for the first time, the Markinson brand is shook. The first time that you can really highly doubt, on some level, what is happening between Kenny Atkinson and Sean Marks. Like, okay, so Sean Marks is more separated. He doesn't control who Atkinson plays. He doesn't control anything that happens on the court immediately understandable and like you could not criticize marks but atkinson for the first real time in his time as a coach like you can like really thoroughly criticize him um pretty distinctly yeah that i mean this team is the, just blowing the, up at the, the bottom is falling out yeah in a way that it hasn't had any time in, in 
even despite everything else that's been going on for the last couple of years. Yeah, this is a particularly bad stretch at an early enough point in the season. You know, Levert injury aside, it's, it's the optics are not good. But I really will caution everybody to pump the brakes on this. Like, these do not seem like insurmountable issues to solve. For Like, fourth quarter collapses are... I don't know. That it's it's not like everyone wants to make this about like, you know, uh <clears throat> like what like what are the X's and O's? Like what's like it's just like late game management is really difficult for young people to succeed at. It's like they don't have a ton of experience at it. I, I would I really I know it's like what I always do, which is like uh <laughs> <Temper>. <laughs> like take this middle of the road approach to all this stuff. But I really can't stress enough that like these are yeah, these are bad and they look optically really bad, but the problems that we're facing are like young team problems. They're not insurmountable and it's not a like call for, you know, these inbound plays, they're not designed poorly. They're executed poorly. Is it, you're like, you're talking, everyone's talking about this. Like, yeah, okay. So it goes to Dudley and that's bad. And that's bad. But like those inbound plays outside of what everyone wants to say, like Brad Stevens, like elaborate inbound plays, <laughs> you wouldn't run one of those elaborate inbound plays at the end of a game. Anyways, you run a conservative one to make sure you get the ball in. Problem is, we've got these young guys who are shaky at the end of the game. They've already coughed up a big lead. They're they're super stressed out. It's like a bad situation to be inbounding the ball. Um, and lo and behold, they suck at it. So you know, it's it's not. It's, and I know you shouldn't be in a position where you're you know you cough up a twenty point lead. I get it, but that's what young teams do. I don't know. I've I've been around too long, Mike, to start you know clutching my pearls about the the direction of this of this particular team. Like it's a horrific spell, but like. Are we going to be singing a different tune come March and April? Yeah, you bet. You bet your sweet butt we are because Levert will be back and like everyone's going to be playing again. And we'll do the same thing that we always do, which is like rattle off a bunch of wins at the end of the season and make everybody believe in the meme. You know, and that's what we do. We believe in the meme. But unfortunately, so the brand of the Markinson's regime was that like the Nets are going to play the right way. They're going to play the right brand of basketball that adapts to the foreign game or not the foreign game, the the current game, the game that we are living in. This Warriors three ball generation. And that, yeah, you know, the Nets don't have that much talent. We all know why. Um, but, like, they are going to play the right way. And they're going to play hard. And they're going to make the right decisions on the court. They're all going to be Joe Harris's or, you know, Damari Carroll's. When these losses have been because they haven't played the right way. And they haven't made the right decisions. And those are, as you say, those are symptoms of being a young team. I get that. Dude, but it's also honestly- like... You and everyone else can kiss my butt because this is infinitely better than watching them get blown out every goddamn night, which is a thing that we're probably pretty used to at this point. Coughing up leads suck, but like it makes 80% of the game super watchable, you know, and that's way better than the alternative. Than just being like horrible and horrible. Than just being outright horrible. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, 100%. The thing that's really like, and I do want to narrow down what's really hurt the Nets beyond these late game situations, because I want to look kind of bigger picture here, is that. Rondé and Damari just haven't been who they were last year. And that is such a big – like, Damari is – I think he's averaging, like, nine points a game. I don't even remember what it is. He hasn't really had any moments this year. He was hurt to start the year. Actually, as Rondé was hurt to start the year as well, both have been not good. Rondé's been bad at times, really bad at times. And Damari just hasn't done anything to pop. Like, it, there were games last year where he, like, really – sort of was the steadying hand out there as a veteran. Like, he would make the defensive play that they really need to make or the three that they really need to make. He hasn't made really any of those plays this this year. And Rondé was a bench scorer or a guy who could play with the twos and would give you, like, 14 points a game. Like, you know, those were a nice 14 points. This year he doesn't give you that. And then he also 
is kind of, I think, his loss in offense is making him less effective on defense. It's a classic case. You know what has been interesting is that Alan Crabb finally had, so he had a good game. He's had, like, I think Sarah Kustak said this, he's averaging, like, 41% from three over the past 11 games, which is, like, the classic Alan Crabb, like, sort of rising from the ashes. But it still isn't like doesn't feel like he's shooting forty one percent. It still feels like he's not like like obviously he's not all there. He's not all there from what he was in Portland. It's just there's a lot of factors for why the Nets have lost these games. My biggest one would be that the team just like they don't have the steady hand reliable dude at the end of the games. Spencer Dinwiddie is the closest guy to that, and it ends up being the best play at the end of the games is him shooting a step back three which has gone in before, but it's also a ridiculous thing to rely on if you're not James Harden or now Luka Doncic, who apparently can do the exact same thing that James Harden can. Um, it's stressful, Brian. It is stressful, okay? Yeah, but let's let's pivot into, like, solutions, you know? I don't want to dwell on, on the problem. Let's talk about solutions. So, your boy, Chris Roldan of Roosevelt um, Island, says... Holler. Uh, Travion Graham should be returning in the near future. Oh, no. Where do you see him in this already tight rotation and whose minutes, if any, does he eat up? Two weeks ago, I'd have said Alan Crabb, but he seems to have been better from the arc per your sentiments, echoing your sentiments. Um, our thoughts? Well, Graham was playing the four at times to start the season. I don't know if people remember that, and that was nuts, but that was happening. The four is obviously the weakest spot on this team. Is he going to somehow slide into the Rondé, Damari, Jared Dudley sort of troika of uh, not that effective uh, players who play basketball? I don't understand. So, you know, we'll see how he slides in. It could be nice if they could use another shooter because when Joe Harris was out, this team was sorely missing him, Brian. Sorely missing him. Um, The answer to that is... Travion Graham is going to be parked on the on the bench <laughs> until, well, maybe not. I don't know. What do I know? But Dude, it, it, I mean, start and play forty eight minutes a game. They did. They did love him in preseason. They loved them some Travion Graham. They for absolutely sure. loved them so some Travion Graham because I think they think he's like. I think they think he's Joe Harris two point oh. I think they think how he's triggered like a, is a smart is Kenneth? Shooter. How triggered is Kenneth Freed going to be when he sees Travion Graham getting minutes over him? You know what? I'll, I'll get, so I, obviously I follow all these guys on Instagram. I, yeah, Fareed's been holding it down as being just like a a great outwardly imaged teammate. He, well, there was a thing on on Nets Daily about how he was liking comments that said he should play, and like you know where is he and all this stuff. Or well, um, of course he's gonna. Every guy is gonna. Every player is gonna like those comments. Even even someone who is like the fifteenth dude on the bench, which I guess Kenneth Fareed uh, is. I, he should play. He uh, does this team not need a scorer and a rebounder at some points in the game? The part of the reason why they're losing these games is because Jared Allen is trying. It has three dudes around him. He's trying to get the ball. And he can't get it, and they don't have another rebounder in there to get the ball. Not that Fareed should be playing at the end of the game. I'm just like, there are moments in the game when they need that second rebounder to come in and just like be a man and grab the goddamn ball, and they. That isn't any of their players beyond Jared Allen. And Jared Allen actually isn't that great of a rebounder. He's a, a bunch of people scrap. were also triggered by the fact that Rodions did not make yeah. an appearance against Oklahoma. Very um, weird. Very weird, Brian. You thought that was weird, huh? Conspiracy theory, Brian. 
What is going on? Atkinson there? didn't like that draft pick, and he's not playing. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> That's the theory. Can I tell you actually? What was I reading? I think I was so within. So you'll see this if you're if you go on Nets Daily, and when you're going to click on like the Glue Guys post, you're going to see this huge piece that I've written around our podcast. Um, and I again huge beautiful I, piece, and I won't I won't drop the bomb that is that is the title of the piece until later. Well. Uh, do you like this teasing? Even though like the, is... the headline of our podcast is going to be the thing, <laughs> I can't it? wait to see like where it leads. There's so much teasing going on. It's, People I'm, are yeah, so you're ed- I'm edging right now. So <laughs> go, they're going to hate it. Okay, go but on. but there was like there was a quote from Sean Marks. I don't know if it was very recently or like somewhat recent past, where he did say that um, every deci- oh it was about Jaleel Okafor. Okay, last year when the team. Traded for Jaleel Okafor, Nick Stauskas, and they got the second-round pick that was from the Sixers that was the Knicks pick. Uh, I guess Sean Marks was asked whether he's surprised that Jaleel Okafor wasn't playing as much. Because at that time, remember, like, Jaleel, like, never really played. He played, like, three games for the Nets. And Marks said, well, every decision we make, we make as a team with our analytics department, our management, which is me and Kenny Atkinson. And yet, but ultimately, it comes up to Kenny Atkinson. And he had basically said, yes, I am surprised that Jaleel hasn't played, but that is the decision Kenny Atkinson is making. What I'm saying is, that was a while ago, but there was like that moment of discord between Kenny Atkinson and Sean Marks. I don't know what Sean Marks wants. I would imagine he would want Rodians and Musa. He doesn't actually want to play because Musa is like, what's funny is that Karutz is, is already the better player than Musa. Musa just doesn't play for this team really ever. Well, and the only reason that Rodion's is a, is a meme at all is because he played so well in that preseason that like, you know, um, yeah, I mean, the reason that we haven't, that we don't have a, a meaningful uh, contingent of Musa fans. Uh-oh, did I lose you? Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Sorry. Oh, the reason we don't have a meaningful contingent of Musa fans is because we've never seen any of them <laughs> at all, except for for that. So it's a little bit of Pandora's box here. Um, I don't know. Do we? I, I want to get think into Karut should play more. I'm just going to put that out there. But wow, does Ooh, that. So uh, would you rather see? But holding your feet to the fire here, would you rather see Fareed or Travion Graham? Oh wow! What what a Sophie's choice. Um, <laughs> Um, I'd rather see Fareed. Really? I'm on the. I've always been on the Fareed bandwagon. I am. You know what? I, I want to see Fareed just because I feel bad for the guy. Like I don't. You know, I want him to have a good time. I want him to feel okay about himself. Travion, we can ease him in like way later. Like we have a a nice long bandwidth for that dude. Yeah, he, Fareed. There's time for Travion Graham to have a moment, but like Fareed, like just play him. Like what? What are we getting out of the other fours? And we couldn't get out of Fareed. I know that, like, Jared Dudley makes all the right plays and blah, 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 and he's smart and he's communicative and all that good stuff. But, like, I also kind of like a guy who can score 12 points a game just yeah. doing that regularly. And I know Fareed can do that. He must yeah, be so unf- bad in practice, Brian. The the unfortunate thing with Fareed is that the game just sort of, like, passed him by. It's sort of like how, <clears throat> you know, he's he kind of reminds me, and bear with me here, of, like, Sort of Dwight Howard, without all the size and like and more excessive athleticism, didn't never adapted to the modern game. Yeah, um, sort of. It just sort of passed him by. You know, all of his all of his skills became a little bit redundant over time, and and he just like lived through the era where like basketball changed and and his skill set became a little bit not necessary. Well, and it's like if you 
I think they were about the same time, but like Paul Millsap and Kenneth Fareed had similar stories of small schools, um, really great rebounders in college, energetic, blah, 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 blah. Paul Millsap adapted with the times. He learned to shoot threes. He learned to sort of handle the ball a little bit. He learned to sort of do all the things that you need to do now in the modern NBA where Fareed was one-track mind. I'm just going to get boards and I'm going to try to score, you know, around the basket. Paul Millsap is a max player and Kenneth Fareed is sitting on the bench for the Brooklyn Nets who are 8 and 18, I think, which isn't which isn't a good record. That's a hot take. Hot take. Not a good Second record. to last email. Perfect. Cheerboy Sean Pinto Woo! writes in Hey guys, what would you be willing to trade? <clears throat> sorry, what would you be willing to trade for Brandon Ingram? Mm. I think we could give the Lakers a few players that fit really well with LeBron, Harris, Dinwiddie, RHJ, Carroll. Thoughts? Um, I'm anti Brandon Ingram. I've been anti Brandon Ingram for the entire time. When he was getting hype after LeBron signed with the Lakers, I did not understand it. I understood it actually because. <laughs> uh, word gets out when when a major player signs with a team like LeBron. LeBron is so savvy with the media that they're that then the management of the Lakers knew that they had to hype up Brandon Ingram because they either were going to trade him to another team um, for a major piece like Anthony Davis, or they just like wanted to establish that LeBron was entering the Lakers with like a second star, which would allegedly be Brandon Ingram. Never like Brandon Ingram. He's if he was on the Nets for free. Yes, give me Brandon Ingram, but he's he's never been he wasn't that great at Duke, and he's always just been like a tall, gangly dude who can shoot jumpers, not overwhelmingly athletic. He's not Kevin Durant, which was the comparison, just because they're skinny. Um, I'm sorry, not a big fan of Brandon Ingram. I guess I would give up. What would I give up? Ronnie Hollis Jefferson and the Knicks second round pick. I'm probably more than that. I'm just being like a jerk, but yeah. I mean, you are being you're being a big jerk, and you know it. Never I think a, you do know it. I get so mad. I was so stewing in the preseason when everyone was talking about like, you know, who's going to be good this year? You know, who's like the next guy is Brandon Ingram, and I am, I am buoyed by the fact that that hasn't come true because it confirmed my original suspicion. I knew. That the latest Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, tri- the, the beginning of this Newt Scamander movies weren't going to be good. I knew that from the moment I saw the trailer. Knew it. And I saw it's a similar feeling. I knew that hmm. Brandon Ingram wasn't going to be that great at basketball. He's going to be good, not that great. He's the Newt Scamander of basketball, Brian. Killer comparison for you. Newt that is Scamander a good killer basketball. comparison. We should do a trailers to players comparison. That's what Ooh, we should do. Who's the jarhead of players? I don't know. <laughs> that is still yeah. my number one trailer, dude. Jarhead the movie is is also like yeah, I remember <clears throat> I was I went to the movies and God what was it? My, so my I went with my buddy and we watched the first ten minutes of Jarhead and he left because he wanted to go see God what was it? Something super embarrassing that we made fun <laughs> of him for forever. We for. could figure it out like what time did Jarhead come out? What other movies were out when Jarhead was out? But that's yeah. a lot of work. Um, that would be worth it ultimately though but um yeah anyways he like wrote it off as like ah it's just another like war movie it's like it's not you know there's more going on it's Sean Mendes, literally come the on. opposite of it yeah yeah it's pretty good flips it on its head pretty good but I, anyways but i but, but again i'm gonna say well one well, how old were we when jarhead came out it was it was when kanye because the kanye song was attached to the trailer it, um but it was 
I was of the age where I didn't I was expecting a war movie also because the trailer presented it as Jake Gyllenhaal goes to war and like he's going to start shooting the gun at like an oil tanker or something but it wasn't that at all it was the opposite it was a, yeah. a mental experiment oh wow good movie oh oh wow next up is sure boy so this is I'm parlaying this I th- I feel like we talked about this before our our show here where there was Fultz conversation going on in your mind some some pretty hyperbolic Fultz talk um and so I'm keying into that <clears throat> true boy showed good friend I already said good friend of the show he's been writing in he's been doing work he's been up late penning dank emails what are you guys doing where are your emails anyways thank you for thank you for your continued listenership and content providing nature sean um he says hey do you guys think uh that kenny atkinson could use some kind since some of that developmental magic to turn Fultz around and get him what do you think it would take to trade for him his value is at an all-time low is there any way the 76ers would throw in their own pick for Fultz with Fultz uh for damari carroll do you think there's any way sorry there's any world where they would trade Fultz and someone like chandler for money purposes for crab Brian, we have come to the moment. The moment this pod has been building towards the entire time, Brian. Wow. The Nets should trade for Markel (laughs) Fultz. We're doing this. Get on the train. Let's start the GoFundMe. Let's do this. Let's make it happen. Call Matt. Well, I was about to say Matt Lauer. Call Al Roker. Go into today's show. We're talking about this, Brian, because... This is my theory. This is the theory that I'm going to live by. I, I will live and die by this assessment. Um, the Nets should trade for Markel Fultz, Ryan. I don't here, – here's why. And we talked about this, right? We talked about this in our pre-show meeting. Um, yeah. What did you – how did you describe Markel Fultz in terms of the developmental chart? You said he would be the what of, of basketball players in terms of a video game comparison. Oh, <laughs> he's like the final boss. This is what it was like, like the Sephiroth from Final Fantasy VII was the comparison that I used. He's just the final boss, you know. Um, like if you if you want to stake your claim, your career on the basis that you can like you know develop you know this someone into into oblivion. This is this is the guy. This is this is um, I don't know who are some other formidable bosses. Bowser. Uh, Bowser's you know. the one I can think of. Um, Bowser's like the example my mom would use, but I mean, technically, know. King or Donkey Kong is a boss in Pac Man. Um, Jesus, whatever. What a... whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> blew it. <laughs> whatever. Um, <laughs> so this is the thesis of my piece, and the thesis of now my life is the net wow. to trade for Markel Fultz. He is the thesis he, of your life. Came is, all. It came to this. He is a Hydra. Of mental issues, not not like not disparaging him. I'm just saying. Like, hey, his agent went on the record saying it is certifiably not. Yeah, but <laughs> mental I issues. I think I'm a human. Okay, so I re- I relate to humans. If I'm 20 <clears throat> years old and I'm getting just slaughtered in the media, I'm going to feel something. I'm going to think I'm there's going to be some mental rehabil- rehabilitation I will need. Unless Dude, that re- that free throw, I don't care how messed up your your shoulder is. Those are the yips. Those are the yips. Full on. I've seen it. There's no. I mean, it's. There's no skirting that. Yeah. You know. You can't. Okay. Yeah. You can't spin that. And here are the facts. So the facts are that. Well, we believe are the facts. The facts from his side, are that he has TOS. TOS is a 
I so if you have if you don't know anything about it, and there's going to be a link to it in our podcast post on netsdaily.com. Uh, Michael Bauman from The Ringer has a really good piece. He's a baseball writer, but he knows this injury because pitchers have this injury. It's it's a nerve issue where like something like the collarbone and the rib bone. I guess I believe it's like they start pinching your nerves in your shoulder. And it affects how, obviously, if your nerves are disrupted, it affects how that part of your body are, is going to work. Um, the So if it is TOS, it's a weird thing because they could remove the rib bone by your collarbone, which isn't apparently a, a great thing to really do. Um, or it's something that could just be rehabbed. And that's what the Sixers are doing with with uh, Markel Fultz. Okay, so if that's true, if there's a legitimate diagnosis and a legitimate injury, and that is the case for why he can't shoot, and if the Sixers believe that diagnosis, it's unlikely then that they will give up on Markel Fultz right away because, um, okay, it's an injury, we can fix it, there's a path for rehab, whether it is actually three to six weeks, if it's not, if it's maybe, maybe it's actually a whole season, that may be the case, but why would we then just dump an asset? Well, you would do that if 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 this this rift between hit Markel Fultz and his agent and the team is so wide that you just can't see a, a bridge that could be built to sort of mend those fences together. So many cliches. I know. I apologize. That was a yeah. yeah. That was like three cliches in one sentence. I, uh, that's mm-hmm. a Hall of Fame thing. Um, I will say that within the reporting about, I think it was Wojnarowski's report about the TOS diagnosis, is that a Sixers representative was with Fultz at every doctor he went to. So there's some belief out there that, like, uh, Fultz's agent shopped around for this diagnosis. But, you know, if a Sixers doctor is in a room seeing the same thing, hearing the same thing from the doctor, you'd imagine it would have leaked by now that um, people are casting dispersions on that medical diagnosis within the Sixers organization. And so far, we haven't had that exact uh, reporting yet. Okay. Let's wrap this up and put it back into the Nets here, Brian. Yeah, let's do it. I'm sorry. I'm signing into Twitter. The Nets, the Nets have uh, built their current reputation on development. Uh, Sean Marks within the uh, – and again, this is in the piece on Nets Daily if you're reading this, but this is the audiobook version of that piece – the Nets, in their announcement that they were hiring Kenny Atkinson, the main thing they talked about, Sean Marks said in the press release, Kenny Atkinson was hired because of player development. Kenny Atkinson, we know, is like this renowned player development coach. We have examples of it. Karis LeVert was a non-shooting, positionless kind of guard, forward, whatever that was. Positionless, again, in a bad way, before he was drafted by the Nets. Injury-prone before he was drafted by the Nets. Spencer Dinwiddie was unwanted by the league, is now a six-man-of-the-year candidate. Joe Harris was unwanted completely by the league and now is making $8 million a year, and deservedly so, and could have made more money if you believe the reporting. Um, This whole team is focused on, we have the best medical staff, we have the best training facility, we treat our players like they're our family, we have their family to our practice facility, and we all eat cake together. It's a beautiful wonderful symbiotic relationship if there is one team that should be taking a bet on markel fultz if that bet is to be made as in he's available why not the nets like why why aren't the nets um trying to do that maybe they are but 
if you believe so deeply within your developmental staff, which Marx has consistently said over the years that he believes – the thing he mentions most about Kenny Atkinson, even beyond that initial press release and continued has to mention over time, is that Sean, that Kenny Atkinson is, is a tremendous developmental coach. He mentions it every time someone asks him about what he likes about Kenny Atkinson. Um, this This is the team – the Nets are the team that should be making this bet. The Nets, again, are finally going to have their own first-round pick. But they still need a bank of talent if they're really going to ascend to anything over the next three years. <laughs> you know, like, the, the timeline is still long. As you're, you're saying, the bandwidth is long with Trevion Graham. It's long with this team. The Nets are the team to do this, Brian. The Nets are the organization to make this happen. It's not the Phoenix Suns. Because the Phoenix Suns are a joke, and that team's a mess, and they have their own first-round pick in Josh Jackson, who isn't producing anything, and he's on the bench, too. It should be the Nets. The Nets should make this bet. What they could trade, people are not going to want to hear, but I'll save that for later. So what do you think, Brian? Markel (laughs) Fultz, should should the Nets make a move? Um, I mean, you said it all, Doug. Um, no, I mean, honestly, no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't. I honestly don't think so. Um, <laughs> Why? Um, <clears throat> to your many various points, like he will make a fair amount of money going forward. Um, I just, I just don't like. I don't want it. I don't want the media circus around it. I also don't think that whatever it was that was like special about him continues to be special just from the optics perspective. I know that like we're like memeing about going all in and development stuff. Like I think it's beyond the development stuff for my just personal diagnosis. Like I think it's like not super worth taking a flyer on, you know, uh, there's all kinds of like stories flying out about like what the workouts were like leading up to the draft and stuff like that. Like I just think everyone feels a little bit cautious about it. I, I would, I think he's the kind of guy that you can pick up on an Anthony Bennett style. Like you don't have to like, they, they're not willing to, I, I don't think they would be willing enough to take back something like Alan Crabb. Like that's the only way you do it. Right. If you actually like jettison something that's like, you know, would be as, as like comparably sort of useful. I'm using my air quotes to, to sort of send back their way. You know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of flotsam to take on uh, a guy like Fultz. So, you know, if you're using it as a, jumping yeah, a jumping pad to get rid of some of the other stuff that you don't want to have on your team yeah i'm down but as like a, just a an asset that is going to play basketball on your team and like finding minutes for that dude i'm less excited about it so my sort of thing this is what people aren't going to like and I, unfortunately i'm just too much of a gm minded guy not to think about it this way is that like okay so i listen to a lot of the reporting from like zach lowe and brian windhorse and all those people that like really know these nba gms and they all ask how much could you get from Markel Fultz? And there has still yet to, to be a number or a player or a value that's like, that's definitive, right? That's like, well, if you do like a top 20 protected pick, like let's say the Nuggets pick for Fultz, that would work for, for the 76ers. Or if you give up um, like a good shooter to the 76ers, like who maybe doesn't do anything else but just does that, that may make sense. But Sort of the trade that makes sense, unfortunately, for the Nets, it would be a Joe Harris trade. And I know people don't want to hear that. They're going to be so mad. Hear me out for a second. 
Fultz yeah. makes eight million dollars a year. Joe Harris makes eight million dollars a year. Joe Harris makes eight million next year. Fultz makes around ten point five next year. Um, but the Seventy Sixers are going to want something. They're not going. They're not in dump mode yet with Fultz. Okay, not in dump mode. So you're going to have to give up something. And the Nets. It's not going to be Damari Carroll because the Seventy Sixers aren't going to take on like. They want shooters, and DeMar Carroll really doesn't add anything to them. They already have Wilson Chandler, who's, like, better than Damari and more of a, you know, guy. It's not going to be Alan Crabb because Alan Crabb, unfortunately, is one of the worst contracts in basketball at this moment. Um, and most of his hot shooting continues. <laughs> it, it has to be something. Like, you have to give up something. My argument for why it could be Joe Harris, and you, you should be okay with it, is just because, like, I love Joe Harris – what is he going to do for you within the time frame that it really matters for this team to be good? Like we are getting further away from the conversation of like this team is going to get a max free agent just because guys are getting taken off the board already. And as the team keeps losing, they become less attractive. The whole argument that they're going to get a max free agent is based off the fact that they were going to maybe kind of be a playoff team and be interesting and young and good. We're getting further from that discussion. So Joe Harris makes sense in that discussion. In this current discussion, we're like, maybe they are thinking about getting closer to not tanking, but like maybe thinking Moose is going to get more minutes. Karutz is going to get more minutes. We're going to play the veterans a lot less. Joe Harris makes less sense in that equation. And Markel Fultz makes more sense in the equation. Um, So I think it would be like Joe Harris for Markel Fultz. And if I told you, Brian, that you could get a super talented number one pick in the draft, super talented, that's the difference between Anthony Bennett is Anthony Bennett has no talent. Never had talent. That was a terrible draft. Fultz has talent. It's there. I think, I mean, he still had productive games even last year when he was coming back from whatever weird shoulder injury he came back from, which is, we understand probably now is TOS. Um, if you could trade a guy who you developed on your own but was like a scrap heap player, you developed him into an $8 million a year player for the number one pick in the draft who has talent but is in a bad developmental situation, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'd rather not give up Joe Harris. I'd rather give up like Alan Williams and Shabazz Napier or something, um, which you could do. I just... I don't think I, the 76ers are going to want something. So that's that's just the truth. I'm sorry. <clears throat> I'm just thinking about doing teams as movie trailers. That's all I can possibly think about right now. I'm just thinking about we which. We should do that next pod, man. That's a good. We should. That's a really good. I mean, like, that's really. We have to create a list, though. Because now we get to, like, now that it's December, we have a little bit of evidence to, like, know what these things are. So it's, like, the trailer versus what the reality is. And so, like, we saw the trailer, like, Probably like October, November is sort of the trailer, and now in December we know what the team really is. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like so we both like Rogue One, but the Rogue One trailer looked amazing. The movie, eh? It's Dude, a, what? I like Rogue, Rogue One. One. Rogue One is the only good Star Wars movie in the last twenty years or whatever. No, Last Jedi was. Dude. Awesome. You're, I mean, awesome. You're just if you take wrong. out the casino plot Last Jedi is fine. It's like second best. But like oh it is – Rogue One is actually a good movie. It's the difference. Is... I actually kind of like Han Solo too. I'm the only person. I like Han Solo. Yeah. Um, 
but the Rogue One trailer made it seem like it was saving Private Ryan in space, and what it ended up being was like, you know, uh, Platoon in space or something. I don't, I've never seen Platoon, but I imagine that's what Platoon was like. Um, uh, so, like, what I would immediately kill in comparison would have been Oklahoma City Thunder from last year. Have you never seen Platoon? No. Is it, it's pretty good. Is it? It's basically, it's like, here's the deal. Here's the whole thing. It's like Willem Dafoe and uh, Tom Berenger. And, like, Tom Berenger, they're, like, the two captains in this platoon. And Willem Dafoe smokes weed and Tom J- Berenger drinks beer. And it's like, there's this beer drinking squad versus the, the weed smoking squad. Really? And they, like, they don't get along. <laughs> I like that. That's, yeah. a, that's a good. Yeah. I mean, that's my version of the elevator pitch, but that's. I think that's like the truth. <laughs> I, I can't wait to actually watch it and see if that's how. It's dead true. It's it's dumb true. Yeah, and it just like informs all of their worldviews, right? It's like these the weed smokers are like more peaceful, or whatever, and the beer drinkers are like violent psychopaths. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know that old that old chestnut. Um. So you right, don't anyways, want to mark get us out of here. Hey, we got the, through the whole show. Chaboy Morris, we didn't say the words Billy King, but now we just did. So you got to check out early, dog. <laughs> Everybody else, Mike, take us out. Dog. All <laughs> right. Us so out, yeah. thank you all for listening. I apologize for telling you that the Nets should trade for Markel Fultz. I know no one will like that. I apologize, but it's the truth. Thank you all for listening. iTunes, five stars. We want them and need them. We have to have them. Um, at PK Glue Guys on Twitter. And, you know, I feel like the Nets are – you know, They're back, dude. They're They're back. so back. They're definitely back. Yeah. All, right, All right, bro. Thanks, everybody. Okay, bye-bye. Yeah, boy.